Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. I guess we've got to dedicate this whole episode to Uprising 2023. It feels like such a huge show or should have been such a huge show but it's been a very strange one and one that I've been thinking about quite a lot. Um, so we're going to, going to dedicate the whole show to, to Red Pro. We didn't talk about them at all on the last episode uh, in sort of preparation for that. Um, but yeah, really interesting show, I think, to, to sort of sink our teeth into. Um, and I realised as I was preparing this episode and taking notes and, and re-watching certain bits of the show uh, that this is going to be our Christmas episode. It's the 17th of December as I'm recording this. Christmas is in just over a week and it feels absolutely nuts. I don't. I, I know that's a very British conversation to have, isn't it? Do you, you watch that? Um, there's that Twitter feed, isn't there? That's um, great British problems, and it, it feels like something from them is that we all suddenly have Christmas sneak up on us and realise we've 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 not done anything. Um, Long time listeners will know. Well, won't know, but will, will probably have worked out that um, I hate Christmas. I, I think it stinks. I can't be doing with it. Um, what my favorite state of being, my favorite sort of mental headspace in the whole world is having nothing to do. And I feel that Christmas is just a week minimum of just having stuff to do. So on the build up to this, it's been constant borderline rows with my wife. Do you know what I mean? Them things where you're not actually rowing, but it, it, it could, a spark could go off at any second because she's asked me to tidy the dining room because I've got all my models and stuff out. And I've, I've tidied sort of most of them away. And I, I've thought, well, it might be all right to leave. I've got some golf clubs. I've got to take up golf in the new year. That's one of my New Year's resolutions. So I've picked up some cheap old golf clubs and I, I've just put them in the spare bedroom. But she didn't want them in the spare bedroom. She wanted them in the garage, but didn't tell me that, you see. So now there's this sort of almost row of that sort of passive aggressiveness in the build-up to it. I've put me... I've spent 
a mortgage payment in the butchers, I think. Absolutely ridiculous amount of money. Um, there's just four of us this year at our house, and um, I rung up the butchers, and I like a, I like a lot of leftovers for me after Christmas dinner. Um, I like doing the, the, the ridiculous generic curry with all the leftover meat. I like the butties and, and all that business that comes after it. I like the leftovers more than I like the actual Christmas dinner. So I knew there was four of us coming. So when the but the butcher was taking me order, I told a little white lie and said there's six of us there because I thought I want a decent amount of leftovers. And then the butcher asked me, okay, you got six people, but do you want lots of leftovers? And like an absolute idiot, I said yes. So now I've got an absolute immense amount of meat coming my way. I've got a big turkey, a big piece of ham, Oh, a big gammon, I think. Which way round is it? I think this is something that I learned this year that, I, that is absolutely of no interest to anyone but me. But I know Americans just call it a ham. But I think in the UK, it's a gammon when it's raw and a ham when it's cooked. Um, I've just gone full Alan Partridge, Anna. So I'll move on. So I've got this, I've spent, a, like I say, a mortgage payment worth of food. And then it's just going to be a week of having to go places. And it's not that I don't want to see my family. I don't want to see my wife's family. Of course I do. I think they're all great. I want to hang around with all those people. But it's no, just something about my personality. It's knowing that on Tuesday, I've got to drive to Merseyside. Because that's my wife's family are from the Wirral. So I've got to drive to the Wirral. I don't know why it hangs over me. And like Christmas Day for someone like me is an absolute logistical nightmare because I'm one of those people that arrives at airports three hours early. I've been turned away from airport checking desks multiple times for being too early. And if I know something has to be on the table for one o'clock, I get really panicky about times and when things are going in the oven because my wife can't cook like honestly absolutely abysmal cook it's 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 borderline embarrassing for her how bad she is and that's absolutely i i love cooking so it, it works quite well i suppose um and i i'm rubbish at keeping things tidy and i'm, I'm rubbish at uh, uh making the house look nice you know like she she's good with like decorating um you know she can paint amazingly she can uh, you know wallpaper brilliantly and all that business but i can't do you know i like sort of little jobs i can't do but the cooking i just atrocious but it means it's all down to me and i've just got to sit or stand more like in a kitchen for four hours on a, on a, on christmas day absolutely stressing out that the meal's not going to be ready for one o'clock and for some reason there's something about my personality that can't just accept that the meal might not be ready until quarter past one and that's absolutely, absolutely okay. And nobody cares. And if grandma wants to kick off and moan that the meal isn't ready for one o'clock, then we just need to let her kick off and moan. I don't know what it is. There's just something about my personality that gets really stressed out and anxious. So for that reason, I'm not doing a Christmas special because I hate Christmas and I'm not recognising it in any other way than dedicating the first five minutes of my podcast to it. And if you want to talk about what's happened this year, and do a bit of year in review, the promotion of the year was Red Pro, the wrestler of the year was Will Ospreay, the match of the year was Ishii against Luke Jacobs, the most improved was Connor Mills, um, and that's pretty much it. I don't think a tag team has impressed me enough to be called the tag team of the year. Maybe greedy souls, but they had a, a 
he was a bit up and down, wasn't it? He was a bit up and down. Has there been a tag team of the year in, in, in European wrestling this year? I don't know. I suppose you could say Sunshine Machine, but it's one of those where I, I struggle to think of the great match. You know, what's the great sun, Sunshine Machine match? Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to have a think. I'd, 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 I mean, well, you let me know. Get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room. Um, tell me who you think the British or European Tag Team of the Year was, because I can't think of one. Um, okay, so as I say, we're going to dedicate this episode entirely to Red Pro, entirely to Uprising. Uh, but before we do that, as like I say, we're coming to the end of another year. Um, I am due another podcast on New Year's Day, so it might be a little bit after that, to be honest, that we that I put one up. But I just wanted to say, as always, um, thank you for listening. Um, the numbers are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, um. As time goes on, God knows why. The shows are getting worse, aren't they? It's just becoming almost like a document of my breakdown over the years. You know, it's just... Uh, but I, I, I really enjoy doing these. And honestly, if four people listened, I'd still do it. But I get a bit more than that. And I, I really appreciate it. And I'm really I'm really thankful for, for people who do listen and do interact. And, and, and I'm hoping to carry on into 2024 and get bigger and better. Um, well, not even bigger. I'm not bothered. I'm not even. Do you know what? Frankly, not even better. I'm hoping to. This is the thing. You know about New Year's again. New Year's resolutions. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I hope to plod on in pretty much the same way that I always just kind of plod on. I don't want to get any promotions at work. Um, I don't particularly want to be a better person. Um, I don't. I. I just want to kind of get on with things and potter around my house which I think is a lesson that I think a few people could learn. I'm sort of learning that, you know, from Lord of the Rings I know that sounds really stupid. I'm reading Lord of the Rings again and I've not read it in 20 years and I've always had this opinion about it that it wasn't very good and it was overrated and I thought, well, I'll go back and read it and I've realised that the most important thing I've got out of it is that the reason why the Hobbits were the good guys, everybody else is kind of a bad guy in it you know, the dwarves are selfish and greedy. The elves are, are, are aloof and they abandon things. They're abandoned in Middle-earth and running away, leaving everyone to the problems. You know, wizards are kind of sneery, look down on people, all that business. Hobbits are the goodies and they can't be corrupted by Sauron because they're so good. Because what do they do, hobbits? They sit around and they eat cheese. They eat beer, they drink beer and, and talk about old times and, and, and get into things like genealogy just because it interests them and that sort of thing. And, th- and that's what makes that's what makes goodness, in my opinion. And that's what we're going to do going forward on this podcast. We're going to be a little bit more Hobbit. So, with that being said, we're going to talk about Uprising 2023. I think when we're talking about this show, we we've got to look at it from sort of two angles, I think. Obviously, on the one hand, we've got to review the show itself and and on its own merits and the matches and the stories, and we will do that. But also, we've got to have a think about RevPro as a promotion. It felt like a huge year for RevPro with that 11th anniversary show. And that show at the Copper Box 
was such a privilege to be at live and to see and to, and to be part of. And I, I, you know, I don't say things like that lightly. It's not, I'm not a, you know, this isn't Rev Pro Mecca. We're very critical of the company when it needs it. And we, we generally we're big fans, I think on this podcast. And certainly I am. And, being at that 11th anniversary show felt like a beginning, didn't it? I think that was what was so important about it. That, yeah, it was a great show with a number of great matches on it. I really enjoyed the atmosphere and being there and, and, and the fact it felt like a huge event. And, oh, okay, there was a bit of piggybacking on AEW, and I understand that. But it felt like... I mean, that was the show of the weekend, wasn't it? If you're looking at all the wrestling shows that happened that weekend, I mean, really, you're only comparing it to Wembley, aren't you? But it, it was it was better than that on every conceivable level, in my opinion. The wrestling was better. The stories were better. It was more entertaining. It was a nicer place to be, a nicer environment for a wrestling fan. All that business. And it felt like we were building up a bit of momentum. And the, again, typical Red Pro, they've been doing it all year long. You know, building up this momentum of being what Joe Lanza said, the best indie in the world. And I, I didn't really, I, I don't really think on those terms. I, I never, it just, it just doesn't come to me to think like that, as this is the best of this and this is the best of that. But he's right, I think. I, I can't think of an indie wrestling promotion anywhere in the world that's better than RevPro at the minute. And it seems like sometimes RevPro have got to RevPro. And every now and then, it'll feel like things are going really well. But then it'll kind of feel like the wheels are coming off a little bit. And I'm not doing this as a doom and gloom thing. I'm certainly not proclaiming the end of Revolution Pro Wrestling. Because that would be absolutely ridiculous. And they're still, after Uprising, the best promotion in the world, in my opinion. The best indie promotion, certainly. They're still the promotion that I feel the most passionate about. That being said, I think this show is is announcing a bit of a crisis of conscience for Red Pro. And I think they've been through this before. I'll try and dig it out and I'll put it in the Discord. But I wrote an article years and years ago now. Um, called Bowling Alone is Rev Pro OK. And I really like it. I, th- I think back to it as being some of my best wrestling writing. Um, I, I don't write very much anymore, but I used to just be a writer. I never wanted to be a podcaster or have a, my own show or anything like that. I only ever wanted to, to write about wrestling and be a good wrestling critic in, in, in that medium. And basically, it was after um, that stage of Rev Pro where... It was Zack Sabre Jr., Pac was back on the indies, Will Ospreay was involved with those three, and they were they were having matches, and they were having lots of fake finishes, really badly telegraphed timeout draws. Like they were doing things like suddenly announcing match timings during matches on a show, and then lo and behold, the main event ended in a timeout draw. And the reason why I asked the question, are they okay, is because I was starting to wonder if they understood what the Rev Pro fan wants. And I feel like I can speak for the Rev Pro fan in the, in only in the sense that I am one as well. Like, I'm not saying that you might 
you should feel this way or this way is objectively correct. It's just me as somebody who Red Pro is kind of aimed at. They seem to go through stages where they do things that I'm not going to like. And I understand wrestling can be a broad church, so to speak. And, uh, you know, they can, uh, one promotion can meet lots of different needs and, and entertain lots of different people. But there's an element sometimes to Red Pro where I think, why are you doing that? Do you know things like, we mentioned Greedy Souls earlier on and, and a bit of their run this year that I didn't like. And it was when they were doing things like um, screwy finishes, you know, cheating finishes. Um, belt shots is the famous one. We've had that a lot this year where I've screamed belt shot at the top of my lung, um, top of my lungs, which they seem to be actually saying a lot on Red Pro commentary now. It seems to be a thing. They, they use the phrase belt shot, which I thought I said. So I don't know if they've been listening and they're trying to wind me up by doing more of them or what. I don't know. But the point I'm making is they're doing things that the wrestling fan isn't going to like. And I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. It came from the, the Tony Khan, put your money where your mouth is comment. And you see this a lot online, don't you, about how there's often a bit of a weird balance about being a wrestling fan that you're expected to give a monkeys about business. And you're expected to think about what casual wrestling fans want and what people who don't even follow wrestling or like wrestling want or somehow to have to have some interest in promoting your company that you enjoy um, to people who don't like that company. And it's bizarre, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, wrestling business stuff is interesting. And we're going to talk about some wrestling business stuff on this show. But it's perfectly valid to look at RevPro and through the eyes of someone who wants professional wrestling and to question whether or not that's what we're getting. And I think this show has asked a lot more questions than it's answered. Just when we thought we had the answers, he seems to have changed the questions. So let's talk about business then. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but traditionally for the Red Pro Show, they the big Red Pro Shows happen in York Hall. And that's kind of their home. You know, it feels like they've built over the years this idea of we're going to have an epic encounter at York Hall. And I really like that idea. And I know they do a show called Epic Encounter, but it's something that's in kind of the Red Pro vernacular. And the idea that they build these feuds brilliantly and it's right, this is going to be an epic encounter and we're going to have it at our big venue, York Hall. It's, it, it feels something that RevPro have in the back pocket. And Andy Quilden is really good on commentary of not overusing that, of just dropping it in when it's appropriate. And he mentioned it in the, they did a brilliant video in sort of catching everybody up on the stories of this show. And in it, they talked about how Ishii and Jacobs are going to have an epic encounter. And when he uses that verbiage, it seems more important. And I think when you think of things like that and the mise-en-scene, the surroundings of things, one of the big things for Red Pro was having those matches at York Hall. It felt like their venue. And it's... They've moved now to Crystal Palace. 
And I don't know if they have moved to Crystal Palace. I don't know if that's like a permanent thing or it's just someone they're using for now. But there's lots of rumours going around. Somebody put in the, I think it was the Grapple Discord and these, these bits on like Red Pro fan groups where people are being told that they're going to go back to Crystal Palace. And I don't know where that leaves us with York Hall. And this, this is all very much rumour and conjecture. You know, there's no, I don't know anything here. But for me, moving to Crystal Palace for this show over York Hall was a bit of a mistake. It didn't seem to sell very well. We don't have any exact numbers. We're just looking at what people have said who were there, asking around people who, who, who went to the show, looking at the ticket sales map you know, an hour or so before it started. It seems like they've done maybe 500, 600 tickets. And they do more than that in York Hall. From a business point of view, this show didn't do well. And it it affected the perception of the show. Because undoubtedly, it's, it's a good house. I don't think it... I assume it's probably not a failure in terms of Red Pro's eyes. But those seats look sparse. It looked like a lot of empty seats. And it had that awful thing of people dotted around. And it it was so sparse that you couldn't escape it. You know, you couldn't hide it at all. It was just empty. Now, there were times where the atmosphere was great and it, it, it didn't really affect it, but... It just, it just feels like a little bit of a, of, a, of a stutter step for them in terms of growth, doesn't it? We've gone from thousands in in um, Copper Box to a few hundred in Crystal Palace. Now, I don't know if moving from York Hall has affected that. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of asking you as well, you know, what's the difference for you? It just feels like the York Hall show is where everybody goes. Has changing the venue had an impact on this? I don't know. I don't think people had an issue with York Hall as a venue. I think the issues with the security that they were using and the bar facilities. And it, it seems sort of weird to, to, to pick up and move unless there's a really good reason. Maybe York Hall's really expensive. Maybe Crystal Palace is dirt cheap. It could be as simple as that, couldn't it? But it seems like something has stopped people going with them. Is it time of year? Because it wasn't card and it wasn't build because the card of this show on paper, we talked about this last episode, looked brilliant, didn't it? Really, really excited for this show. So let's talk about the actual show itself then. Let, let's, get, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, first of all, I thought, as always with WebPro, the presentation was bad. But the presentation was bad in a really annoying way. And I wondered if it's got something to do with the way they've approached it. Because I watched this live. And actually, like, technically... Well, we'll talk about maybe something technically in a minute. But th there was no stutter steps. It was all in perfect HD. Um, the audio was as good as it ever is. That kind of thing. Wasn't good, obviously, but it was as good as it ever is. It was just little things like it didn't feel like a broadcast. It felt like a live stream. 
And I know that probably sounds like a really minor distinction to make. But just think about those differences, those different kind of associations. If I say broadcast, what do you get in your mind? If I say live stream, what do you get in your mind? This started off with them playing that that great VT, getting everyone caught up with the stories, yet they'd not turned the microphone off in the venue, so we were getting background venue noise. It's like an over-sensory pain. You were getting... You're hearing them testing the microphones and things like that before they came on. Little bits of... of unprofessionalism from a company and a booker that seems to really pride himself on his professionalism. And the professionalism seems to impact every single um, minute corner of that business apart from the way they present their shows on their live streaming. Just really, really bizarre. In terms of technical stuff, the commentary, the the you almost don't hear it anymore, but the audio and the commentary itself, from a technical point of view, was dire, as it always is. And I think if you're coming off Copper Box, there were lots of people on the website, kind of, you know, American contributors to the website who were, you know, I put on the website chat, the office Slack, I was like, hey, um, Red Pro starting now if anyone's about. And there was a bunch of people who said, oh, I forgot. I I, I kept, you know, I subscribed for the Copper Box show and I, I, I forgot. Yeah, I'll check it out. And I know they've seen the Copper Box show, but you think, well, you're asking them to stick around and you're still not sorting things out like audio levels? Like, have you not tested this? Have you not done a sound check? Really, really bizarre, I think, in a lot of ways. I really don't understand it, to be completely honest with you. Anyway, let's talk about a match. Let's Or the matches, I should say. Um, this opened with Zack Sabre Jr. against J.J. Gale. And I am a huge J.J. Gale fan. I've been quite vocal about that and when you look at the great talent young talent that red pro have you know your leon slaters your cameron kai's people like that i think there's a lot of stars coming up and i think that's what makes red pro so great is that the young wrestlers are on a completely different level to young wrestlers elsewhere and my little sleeper pick has always been J.J. Gale. It seems like Leon Slater's going to be the star of the group, and rightly so, but I think and you know, Cameron Kai's going to be a star as well. I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone else, but there's just something about J.J. Gale that is incredibly exciting. The problem is, I felt like this match was being built as his arrival. This was going to be the match where he really did something special. And I thought this match was really good. The problem with it was booking. And that's what we're going to see a lot in this show. Is that a lot of the issues I have aren't necessarily 
with the in-ring action because this this was okay this match it was good even you know high three stars something like that there was nothing really wrong with any of it the problem i had with it is that it's the culmination of a big big story and this match being the finale ended it on a bit of a damp note a bit of a a bit of a disappointment really the story was at the rumble back in march whenever it was um jj gale eliminated zack saber junior and it was a jj gale was up and coming he was getting more reps in starting to get some wins doing some really exciting stuff uh, and then he gets this big moment where he eliminates the ethereal zack saber junior from the rumble Zack Sabre Jr. is apoplectic, absolutely fuming. JJ Gale makes a challenge. He says, I want a match with you now. I've shown I can beat you in a rumble. I want to beat you in an actual contest. Zack Sabre Jr. says, no, he's got to get through Kosei Fujita first, which he does. And then it's on to Zack Sabre Jr. now. The problem is, they've made this the opening match. And they've made it, what was it, this match? 11 minutes. And the match was perfectly fine. There was lots of bits that I absolutely loved about it. You know, it had that arrogant Zack Sabre Jr. just tying a a lesser experienced wrestler up in knots. You know, brilliant chokes from Zack Sabre Jr. Brutal stuff. Um... Never, ever get tired of Zack Sabre Jr. catching people into arm bars. You know, that's my jam. That's my marmalade. That's my absolute passion is watching catch wrestling, Wigan-inspired wrestling on a grand stage. There was a bit in this where I can't believe J.J. Gale didn't kill himself. He sort of missed a dive and slid on his neck across the ring. Both wrestlers were, were, you know, well, JJ Gale in particular, just working at at absolute peak of their ability, which is not insignificant. The problem was it was a 12-minute match when it should have been a semi-main event. And I know that might seem silly, but I really feel like there was a missed opportunity to make J.J. Gale. And J.J. Gale's not going to win this match. It would have been nice if he could have done, but Zack Sabre Jr.'s a champion with New Japan. He's he's just not going to lose, is he, to to J.J. Gale, unless they want to do something with the title later on, which I, I guess is out of their control. Perfectly acceptable for JJ Gale to lose and have this as his big coming out party, but they just didn't seem to want to present it like that. They seem to have wanted to do this story as JJ Gale just kind of having a feud for the year to keep him busy. That's what the ending is here. I don't think JJ Gale, in the end, has got anything from this feud with Zack Sabre Jr. if you were just going to do the match like this, because it... it it was back and forth, and there was some, you know, moments in this. I, I just, I just a really bizarre thing way to do it, and I get wanting to put it on the big show. I get wanting to put it on the the paper, the you know, the what you would call the pay per view traditionally, but 
would this not have been better main eventing alive at London and giving them the time and the status that comes with that? I just don't think they've invested in this match in the way it needed to tell that story. And maybe this is me. Maybe this is this is my fault here, almost, because I'm so invested in JJ Gale as a wrestler. I'm so eager for him to do well because I think he's a special talent. Maybe Andy doesn't see it like that. Maybe this is just something for Zack Sabre Jr. to do when he's on the card, um, and it's something to keep JJ Gale developing. Maybe he doesn't think of JJ Gale in the same way that I do as a special talent. Now, I don't think Andy Quilden listens to this show. I'm sure he doesn't. He might hear that and think, that's absolutely ridiculous. I think JJ Gale's the future of the company. But you've not booked him like that. He's not been booked like that on this show. This should have been way bigger. Maybe it's not a case of booking. Maybe we were wrong about JJ Gale. And he isn't going to be this big star. But we certainly don't know that from this match. Again, nothing wrong with the match itself. Talking of things being wrong with matches, next up, we've got Robbie X against Spike Trevay. Now, I've put in my notes here as I, as I, as I flick through them like Dave Meltzer. I've put do a Trevay rant at the top of the note. And I don't want to do a Trevay rant. I want you to explain Spike Trevay to me. What does Spike Trevay offer RevPro? I understand, believe it or not, what Spike Trevay offers progress I know that sounds condescending and in a way I mean it to, I mean it to be condescending I mean to look down on it but on the other hand I don't like I I, I think that, that that's what they do over there in that company they do spike Trevay stuff they like you know I mean this they said in the commentary that the the what the reason why Spike Trevay has come to Red Pro if you want to look at the kayfabe version before we examine um the non kayfabe sort of side of things is that he has a need for a legacy and he's going to get it any way he want any way he can that's progress story telling that's progress nonsense that they like in the electric ballroom. Progress are perfectly happy to say stuff like that and then everyone in the in the electric ballroom is happy to nod along and go, yeah, he wants a legacy anyway he can, he don't mind now, and accept that as a story. I didn't think that was good enough for RevPro. I thought RevPro understood wrestling stories. I thought they understood that you could have Oku and Mills tell a story about jealousy in using beats of real life. I 
I thought they looked at people like Luke Jacobs and told those kind of stories of somebody scratching and clawing and fighting their way to the top. Neither of those stories are perfect, by the way. But they're real and grounded and interesting and believable and, and, and empathic almost. You can you can feel the emotions in those stories. What do you feel when I say he's got a need for a legacy? What are you on about? This isn't wrestling. Spike Gervais doesn't wrestle. He's not a wrestler. He's a sports entertainer. And do you know what? That's absolutely fine. My wife is downstairs right now watching The Crown on Netflix. It's not for me. So I ain't watching it. Spike Trevay in progress doing his awful routine is not for me. I'm sure he's a lovely man. People seem to like him. I'm sure he's great. I'm sure if I met him in a pub, I'd A, after speaking a different accent so he didn't recognise it was me in case he battered me, but B, I'm sure we'd get along. It just happens that his brand of wrestling, I think, is awful. Why are they bringing it to RevPro? Andy Quilden, why have you brought this to RevPro? This, do you know what I said at the start of, this isn't why people watch RevPro? Well, this is it, isn't it? This moment is why, isn't why, is, I can't even speak. It's the epitome of what RevPro is not. There was no attention to detail in this, down to the fact that they were both dressed exactly the same. They didn't even differentiate each other in the way that they looked. And the fact you put him against Robbie X. Robbie X is one of the strongest wrestlers in the country. He, You could put him against absolutely anybody. Just put him in an opener. Put him in an opener against... Any import you like in the world. And it'll blow your mind. Instead. He's been dragged down. In this awful. Awful story. I just. I just didn't understand this. It, it, it was presented like a hardcore match. But it was weak. Not all of them but the vast majority of chair shots were weak. And I know that's a weird criticism because I, I've, never, I, I've never laced up a pair of boots. I've never taken a chair shot. Absolutely no intention of taking a chair shot. I've got spina bifida. It would end my life. My vertebrae is hanging on by a thread as it is. So maybe I'm a little bit of a fraud. But at the same time, I'm not getting in a ring and telling people I'm doing I'm doing hardcore matches with chairs and all that business. If you're going to do it, do it. I, 
I just don't understand. This was cooperative to an unbelievable point. There was a bit when Robbie X moved chairs so we could land into them in the way he intended for the spot. It was Uncanny Valley Hardcore Wrestling. It had all the trappings of hardcore wrestling, but something was off. There was a bit with a claw hammer. He kept getting this claw hammer out, and we were supposed to be shot because he just put it inside Robbie X's mouth. Nobody reacted to this. And it just felt this match, it felt sad. That's what I felt watching it. Not sad as in upset. Like sad as in almost embarrassed for RevPro that this was happening. Embarrassed for the people who were wrestling. What The bit that sums up this match for me is they got these drawing pins out and they they put these drawing pins, they did spots into the drawing pins. You know, yes, okay, we're doing a hardcore match, let's get the drawing pins out. But they didn't bring the facilities to clean the drawing pins up. And we just had to watch people with tiny brooms sweeping up, desperately sweeping up drawing pins while Francesca was on the outside trying to fill time. Utterly, utterly bizarre scenes. I'm pretty sure David Francisco was cleaning up drawing pins with a napkin at one point. I might be wrong. It might not have been a napkin. I don't know. But it looked like it was. And it, it, was, it seemed to take forever. And this match killed the crowd. It was boring. Awful. Next up, we had Leon Slater against Connor Mills. And I love Connor Mills. I said, if I, I in all seriousness, I don't know if Red Pro are going to sniff. Well, I do know they're not going to sniff the Observer End of Year Awards because they never do. But if there's one wrestler that I think you could genuinely make a case for, it's Connor Mills being most improved. He's always been okay. He's always been someone worth having around. But there's just something about this junior title run, or what do they call it, cruiserweight title, that has really elevated him for me. And I, I think he's absolutely brilliant. I love the gimmick. His gimmick is, is that he's a guy with a chip on his shoulder. He's a guy who's annoyed about stuff. Unfortunately, this match didn't really work. It didn't really click. Little things kind of threw me off at the start. Like Leon Slater ran towards Connor Mills before the bell. Now, obviously, wrestlers start matches before bells all the time. That's fine. But they were like waiting for the bell and then he just ran off anyway. And the bell hit. It was just it was bizarre. And it was a bit of a clunky start. He never seemed to kind of build any momentum. Um... There was no energy to it, almost. I mean, it was perfectly good wrestling when it got going, but it just there was things like Leon Slater was playing to the crowd a little bit too much, and I got it because I think the crowd were just dead by this point. There was just something about that, I, like that, 
the the Robbie X match that just I think phased people out. It phased me out, and I, I just wasn't into it at all. And it, it, they really had a hard time getting people back into it. Um, do you know what I thought was awful in this? And uh, we'll see this all the way through. The commentary here was abysmal. It was awkward. It was flat. Geo in particular, and I, I, I quite like Geo. I think he's okay. He, you know, he's a decent enough commentator, but he really gave the impression that he didn't want to be there. I got the impression of, do you know how maybe when you go out with another couple or you family come round or something, and you just know and you just pick up that they've had a row. And that's what it felt like on commentary. There was no back and forth between Andy and Geo. It felt like Geo was just saying things. Like at one point he says, Advantage Mills. And it just, it felt weird. It felt like soundboard commentary. There was no thought behind it. There was no passion behind any of it. And that's hugely important. So maybe if you were there live... You didn't quite get that, but it's like if you're watching something with and you sat next to someone who's just whinging, it's going to take away your, your enjoyment of it. And obviously, he wasn't whinging, but there wasn't energy there from the commentary, which I just didn't like at all. The crowd weren't bothered either, and when Leon Slater won, the crowd chanted TNA. So there you go. I guess the cruiserweight belt is off to TNA, which is no bad thing. It's just a bit of a shame, really, that we didn't get the big, um, big win, the big feeling win. Because this is again the big loss for Mills. There was a bit in this when Mills did a low blow or attempted to do a low blow right in front of the referee. Lazy, just lazy bits in it. Next up, we have the final. Of the Great British Tag League. And this was another moment. Where I wondered. How this show. Serves the Rev Pro audience. So it was Greedy Souls. Against Anthony Gogo and RKJ. Uh, RKJ didn't make the last show. Because he, he, his wife gave birth to a baby. So congratulations to Ricky Knight Jr. Um, but they're back together. It's a Gogo and RKJ against Greedy Souls. And I went into this feeling quite hopeful because I hope uh, Greedy Souls would kind of get another go at being champions because it felt like their reign only really clicked towards the end um, when they just became badass heels. Like, they felt very territory kind of heel tag team, didn't they? And I thought that was great. The problem was it was marred at the start by kind of cheating and, and shenanigan wrestling, which wasn't very good. Um... And a go-go RKJ is a fine team. I don't think it's it's um, particularly you know exciting or anything like that. It's not. I'm not going to see Anthony a go-go's name and, and and really feel very much. But he's certainly functional. Talking of commentary, there was a. I need to go back and, and make a note of exactly what was said. But it was a really weird line said that about the water of the womb or something. Like, I'd sort of half heard it and got a self and went, what? Like, I put it on my Twitter if you want to go on my Twitter and see, which is really bizarre. Um, in terms of 
a match. This wasn't great. Like, it was a bit flat. Um, It was a bit boring. It was things like doing the strength suplex spot, you know, when they hold them up and see how, how long they can hold them up for, you know, and the crowd kind of counts along. But doing that too early... You know, when you should have been engaging me in the match rather than just sort of doing a show-offy spot. Um, there was bits about we're being told that there was blood and there was there was no blood. Um, it, it was just very slow at parts. Um, lazy covers. Um, really didn't enjoy it. Um, like I say, just a bit of a of a of a flat match. There was things like. Um, the non-legal man being pinned and the referee counting it and there being a kick out. Uh, it's those little things that really matter. You know, kayfabe we've talked about before being a two-way street and you have to be able to invest as a, as a wrestling fan, as a Red Pro fan thinking I'm, watch Re- I'm watching Red Pro to see wrestling. They're the kind of things that matter to me and you. And they're the kind of things that are being ignored. But sometimes there are going to be matches that just don't land, and, and that's fine. And we can be disappointed in it. I think everybody worked hard. The bit where I flipped my lid, though, was when... How long was this match? Let me get back on cage match. This match was 14 minutes and 30 seconds. Anthony Ogogo waited... 14 minutes and 30 seconds to turn on his partner. There was this story of RKJ having to be taken to the back. And I don't know if that was shoot or not or work. And that might have been part of it, to be honest with you. If that was shoot and he, he, he was worried of a concussion, they took him to the back and Anthony Gogo had to do the thing where he fought on his own, then that explains away why the match wasn't very good. And, and that's completely acceptable. And no one in the right mind could criticise it. You just have to say that is what it is. But a Gogo turning on him at the end and walking away and leaving him to get beat, Andy, this is a tournament final. You've set up a tournament called the Great British Tag League and you've ended it like that. This is supposed to be wrestling. This isn't supposed to be sports entertainment. This is supposed to be wrestling. Why would you do that? What a waste of my time to make me sit through 14 and a half minutes, to make me sit through an entire tournament, which, if we're honest, hasn't had many standout matches, to reward my time and investment with that finish? What wrestling fan is that aimed at? Who is that aimed at? Because it's not aimed at me and I don't think it's aimed at listeners of this podcast and I don't think it's aimed at people who go to Crystal Palace to watch Red Pro. I really don't. I really don't think it's aimed at them at all. Why? 
What a load of rubbish. What an absolute load of rubbish. And I can feel myself just wanting to articulate it better than that, but how can I sum it up? What a load of rubbish. Why do they do this Red Pro? They just have brilliant setups, brilliant matches all year round. And then every quarter, it seems, we've got to go through this screwy garbage. It's a tournament final. Now, if anything could re rescue this show, if anything could rescue this show, it's Jacob versus Ishii 2. Now, it didn't rescue the show, spoiler alert, but it was bloody good. It wasn't as good as the first one, but I think a lot of that was down to setting. I think it was a, a crowd who struggled to get into what was presented to them up to this point. And I do not blame them, by the way. I wasn't into it. I think there's that as well, that element of it, that I was just a little bit bored and a little bit disappointed in how the show was turning out. The fact that the commentary didn't seem particularly bothered about being there. Um, but it's Jacobs versus Ishii and Jacobs came down to the ring like he was ready for a fight Ishii had that classic Ishii came down to the ring like he was absolutely broken yet was ready to fight and it was so good he just went straight to fighting straight to it straight to punching and both wrestlers could just sell a, a story with their eyes, with their expressions, with their punches and their slaps. And I, I just absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Jacobs moves so well now. He's so fluid. He's he's put all the pieces together to become the whole package. He's a world-class wrestler now. I mean, there was a bit where Ishii landed on his head in this. Absolutely brutal. You know, just that kind of sickening violence that the worst deathmatch in the world can't meet. There was a, a moment in this that I, I just can't even describe on any kind of emotional level. It's almost beyond that. But Ishii, no selling a superplex. That's the kind of thing I want in my wrestling. You know, kicking out at one. It, just perfect. Just really great, great wrestling. And I saw a little bit of grumbling online from a few different corners um, that Ishii, lost, uh, Ishii won and that Jacob should have won and got the big rub and... And all that business. And, and in a way, I, I, I don't think it's a, a crazy opinion. I can kind of respect where that comes from. I don't agree, though. I think it's really cool when wrestlers have that opponent that they can't beat. I really like that. You know, a recent example was the Finley J. White thing, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, Finley's gone way off the rails now. God, what's God knows what's happened to him. But that idea that there's just somebody who who 
who they just can't get past no matter how good they get. And when they do finally win, it's unbelievable. And I think that's really cool that if they do this with Ishii, and maybe there is a plan later on down the road that he will get his win against Ishii and the roof will go off. You know, maybe number three, because you know, they have this, this promo at the end where um, Jacobs was like, I will beat you, Ishii, I will beat you. Um, and I love that promo. He said, this will be a trilogy. And I hope it's not soon. I hope it's like in three years from now when Jacobs has gone on to achieve whatever he's gone on to achieve and then Ishii comes back and and, and does the J-O-B. Next up, we had Danny Luna against Alex Windsor. Um, this is the match that I've been begging for for a long time. And I'm kind of worried that they just missed the boat with it. I don't know why we had to have all three ways and all messing around to get to this point. Because essentially the story was is that Windsor was off with injury and Luna was that space was given to Luna for her to take advantage. Not take advantage, but well, I suppose take advantage in, a, in not in a negative way. Uh, and... and sort of become champion and all that business and it just seems like they've been all round the houses with this and and th- there was lots and lots of bits that I liked about this match you know like they wrestled outside they they looked like they were trying so so hard um the problem was there was just a couple of weird botches um just, just they found it really hard to get the crowd on side. I think there was a belt shot in this match, and this seems to be when Red Pro aren't doing very well creatively. This seems to be their little signature: is that there'll be belt shots. And what I'm worried about is because the belt shot wasn't really a big deal. That what they think is that if they play it down and put it as part of the story it, it'll it still fit in with that kind of wrestling mise-en-scene, that kind of wrestling cultural capital that yeah we're doing the belt shot but it's just a minor little thing but it's things like the referee just seemed to have his back to them for ages while they did it the problem is really with this match it was just a bit slow it was just a bit slow just didn't have any pace. I just, yeah, just couldn't really get into it. Um, I just think, don't, with the belt shot, don't play it down. Just don't do it. Don't do a minor belt shot. Just don't do it. Next up, we are Trent Seven against Volador Jr., and by this point, I'm tired. And the last thing I want to see is TNA's own Trent Seven do this weird luchador routine. I know this next opinion might make me sound like a snob. It might make me sound like a gatekeeper. It might make me sound like a bit of an idiot. 
I don't think anybody who loves wrestling the way we love wrestling would do this fake luchador thing that Trent Seven's been doing. It's weird, isn't it? You've flown, I assume, Volador Jr. in. I don't think he's visiting England on holiday. I think he's been flown in. And yet, I'm watching him do this really boring stuff with Trent Seven. He barely took a bump. It was slow. Volador Jr. was flipping around a bit, but to silence. There was a bit where Volador Jr. did a suplex, and he sat up, and the camera looked at his face, and I think he was bored. I think Volador Jr. himself was bored. I just, it was slow, it was dull. Nobody wanted this. Nobody asked for it, yet we got it anyway. Next up, Gibson versus Oku. And do you know what? This felt like a match between two stars. Oku's act, along with Amira, is brilliant. The way they come out, the way Amira's doing these big, grandiose hand gestures. I think she's been a great kind of valet-style manager kind of character. Um, Oku's just sells big fight like nobody else. And Gibson here came out like an absolute star. The way he stalked towards the ring was absolutely terrifying. Brilliant. Did a great promo at the start of this. And then Oku, I think, if you want to look at someone who does um, sports entertainment well, I think it's Oku. You know, he was beaten down for a whole big portion of this match and he's he's basically going to do the fight back. And nobody, nobody can do that better than Michael Oku. One thing I did take umbrage with in this is one of the chants from the audience. And I accept, you know, you pay your money, you chant what you want and all that thing. But there was a chant that went round saying, feed the Scousers. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm being sensitive here, and you can say I'm being silly. I didn't like that. I think I I think if you were chanting that, I think a little bit less of you. I don't think that was a cool thing to chant. I think it was a weird thing to chant. You know, maybe you're a scouser and you're listening to this and you're thinking, Neil, grow up, it was just a joke, and I obviously completely respect and understand that. I, I just think it was in very poor taste and I didn't like it. And the weird thing about this match, though, is that it was really good. Like, the work was great. As I say, that, you know, Gibson was a bully. 
Oku sold it brilliantly. He eked out the win at the end. And then they told the story at the end of Gibson basically being like, look, I, I didn't respect you. I thought you were a joke champ. I've got in the ring with you like wrestlers. We've had a wrestling match and now I understand and respect you. And then what did they do? They set up greedy souls against grizzled young veterans and every wrestling fan watching, every wrestling fan in the audience went, yeah, I'm into that. I want to see that match. I think that's what's incredibly frustrating about shows like this is that actually when they hit it, Red Pro really, really hit it. And that back, you know, it's not a match of the year candidate or anything like that. It's probably three and three quarters for me. Four stars, probably. But it was just really competent, good wrestling by good professional wrestlers telling good professional wrestling stories. And do you know what? I'm not even going to edit that hiccup out. I'm going to use it to emphasize the fact that that's what I want and what we want. Next up, I just can't explain how excited I was for Gabe Kidd versus Will Ospreay. I can't explain how excited I was. The build to this with them just slagging each other off. Their hatred that both men have been able to put in. The fact that they were filming little brawls and stuff at the at the merch stand. I was so into. And just really my kind of wrestling. And the match started and it was my kind of wrestling match. You know, Kid absolutely brutalised Osprey for lots of this. And Osprey sold like death. You know, Kid gigs. They're all over the, the venue battering each other. It just had a different energy. The punches, the hatred. They started off with what felt like a closing stretch. It was just violence on another level. Pile drivers on aprons. Osprey really sold as well. And he, you know, desperate hook kicks to get him back in. Um, it, it was a bit weird, you know, there was like a big tiger driver at the end that Kid kicked out of. And it was bizarre that the crowd didn't really seem to go along with it. I think Gio was particularly bad during this as well. Gio, um, no last name. His... I, I just, I, I've written in my notes here, Geo, don't turn up if you can't be bothered. Like, genuinely, if you can't be bothered, don't turn up. Because I'm watching people headbutt each other and disrespect each other, and I want somebody who's going to be sickened by it. I think the Hidden Blade is the move of the year. The punches, the flying Hidden Blade to a kick out at one, unbelievable. And I love... I love when Osprey goes into that death mode. Do you remember when he did it to Curtis Chapman and he just snaps and beats his opponent into the floor with forearms? And he did that here to Kid. And it was great the way it was sold here because obviously Osprey's very babyface at the minute and they sold it like that's what he had to do to win the match. You know, he had to kill Gabe Kid, and he did. Gabe Kid was never going to give up. 
he was never going to sit down with his with his um, lie down with his shoulders on the mat unless you absolutely murdered him, and the ref had to stop it. Now, obviously, the news coming out of this is that Will Ospreay has signed to AEW. And there's been a little bit of conversation about where that leaves Will Ospreay. Because they can still do indies if you've got an AEW contract, or some of them seem to be able to. Um, or, you know, you can go to New Japan, I guess, so why not Rev Pro? I, I, I don't know. But he said that on February the 18th, it's going to be his last Rev Pro show. And it's going to be against Michael Oku. Bit of a weird one, that one. Because he can't win, can he? He can't win the belt and then leave the company. He's leaving the territory. And you know what Osprey's like. He's going to do the J-O-B, isn't he? I just don't know if he should be doing that to Oku. Am I overreacting a little bit? I don't know. I feel like he should be having another match against Luke Jacobs and letting Jacobs beat him. Even if he let RKJ beat him. I don't know whether Oku benefits as much from beating Osprey as those two would. Strange, isn't it? Very strange that that's what they're going to do. I mean, maybe Osprey's going to win. And <laughs> this is all moot. It's going to be a, a bit of a, of a um, you know, a bit of a, of, of a strange talking point for us when we come on. A bit of a continuation of these weird Red Pro stories. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm excited about that match, even though it's undeniably going to be a great match. I'm just kind of thinking a little bit more forward with that story, and I don't know where that leaves us. Anyway, that was Rev Pro Uprising 2023. Let's wrap things up. Very, very, very mixed bag, this show. I've not come away from it feeling particularly excited. And it's strange because when the highs were high, it was great. It's weird, isn't it? You've got Ishii Jacobs, Kid Oku... Uh, sorry, Kid um, Osprey and um, Oku Gibson that I really liked. I think it's kind of a shame that nothing went above four and a quarter. But the lows, oh my word, the lows were low. And I think a lot of the problem with it, I suppose, is that it speaks to bigger problems. It speaks to, like I say, a bit of a misunderstanding of the audience and what they want. Well, anyway, it's Christmas. So we'll stop whinging. i tell you what, I said I wasn't going to do a Christmas special, and bloody hell, I've spent the last hour and 15 minutes whinging. Absolute pathetic whinging about wrestling. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, it's 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 a time for peace for all men. Uh, And I wish you all a Merry Christmas. I hope, more than anything, that what you get is a bit of time off. You get a bit of time to relax, a bit of time to chill, not worry about things. Um, It's been 
a funny old year for me. You know, the pod, like I say, I've, I've always had this podcast. I've always had this to rely on and fall back on to make me feel better. And I know I might sound like a whinging, grumpy northerner when I'm doing these shows, but actually I'm happiest when I'm thinking about wrestling. And I want to say a huge thank you to you for giving me the audience and the opportunity to think about wrestling out loud and to, to put my thoughts together. And we've I've not said it for a while, but the, the, I hope this show can lead to something a bit more Socratic for me, that you improve your criticality through conversation and talking and thinking about things. And it's a bit weird saying that, because when I do a podcast on my own, to say that I want to have conversation about it, but I really do. And I value the conversations that come out of this podcast, the people who message me and chat about things. Um, so please get in the Discord um, if you if you want to get involved. And, and I've, I, I pride myself on having the friendliest room. So there's not much left for me to do other than sign off and... And again, like I say, I hope you have a good rest. I'm going to have a wander up um, to the local artisan Ponzi store near me in the next couple of days and buy my Christmas cheese board. Um, so I'll make sure I post a picture of that. Um, I'll leave you with the cheese board Christmas tip. Keep your crackers as simple as you can. The main star of the show should be the cheese and the chutneys and the pickles and the stuff that you've assembled. The crackers are the delivery system. Ritz is perfectly acceptable on even the fanciest cheese board, in my opinion. Anyway, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I'll see you in 2024. wrestling trivia then check out the five-star match game the pro wrestling quiz show i'm joe gagney and every episode i grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia we have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering wwe aew japan mexico and much 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 more play along at home and check it out today